Hey everyone, welcome to the 4D Experience, Deep Dives with Dan and Drew. I'm Dan. And I'm Drew. Another busy week in Chicago sports. Yeah, um, again, we still have this period, probably only going to be for a couple more weeks, where we have all four, or four out of the five major sports teams playing. Um, some up, some down, some up again, some down again, and we'll get into all that in just a second. Yeah, I, th- I think the story is... Uh that some of our teams are not really blowing anybody out of the water as far as their success at the moment. Yet, you look at standings, you look at playoff pictures, and all four of the teams we're going to talk about tonight are right in the thick of everything. Yeah, not not out of anything yet, but uh, some teams' prospects took a bit of a hit this week. Uh, We'll we'll get there. Uh, Yeah, so we'll start off with the Chicago Bulls, like we have been doing since uh, we've been in their season. And they had an okay week. Uh, they beat the Boston Celtics, which I think surprised the entire NBA community. <laughs> My God, they actually learned how to play defense in that game. They did. They that held was, them under that was amazing. Points. That was um, amazing. Vooch doing Vooch things with 29 points and nine boards. Um, Wednesday, the Cavs. The Cavs just have our number. I mean, Or they just bring out the worst in that team because um, – what is it? I think the game started at 6 o'clock local. I didn't really start paying attention to it until maybe 6.15. And I just looked up and it was 30 to 10. And I'm like, what happened? Bad loss. Bad. Always a bad loss. Uh, never really close. Never really in it. Uh, Vucevic did not do Vuce things. Uh, nine points, five boards, which might be his worst game of his NBA career. I think so. It was like his his first game or something, like 170-some games as a professional, where he did not reach double figures. So, yeah, I I don't know. But, hey, Larry Markkinen played well. Hey! (laughs) Hey! Um, And then they played the Hornets on Thursday, uh, granted, again. And I don't know, this is seeming to be a pattern as well, but for whatever reason, teams love to sit their best players against the Bulls. I don't know if that's... A good thing or a bad thing uh, that they feel that they can sit their players and probably still be competitive. But no LaMelo Ball, no Malik Monk, no Gordon Hayward for Charlotte. They literally only had Miles Bridges out there. And uh, if you followed along with my live tweet that I did for this game, my key to the game was, if you just keep Miles Bridges in check, we will win. And they held him to 13 points in the game. He was very inefficient from the field. And uh, the Bulls get their... Um, 108-91 win. Vucevic returned to form with 18 points and 16 boards. Well, you'd have to think that this was a, a bit of um, Billy Donovan probably laid into the sides of some Bulls hide uh, after after the, the, the non-effort that was that Cleveland game. Um, but it was good to see that at least, you know, hey, they, at least they responded to it so they haven't necessarily, like, you know, let go of the rope. They're still fighting. There's still there's there's an outside shot of there. I mean, they're probably going to make the play in game. Um, the question is what happens then. But uh, you know, they've they've even talked about it a little bit that you know everybody kind of got out of their roles when they made that big trade. And obviously, you see like a third of your team goes somewhere else and new players come in. So everything has had to settle back out of that. Um, should they have done better in some of these games? Absolutely, I think. But, uh, you know, it, it's at least an, ex, an explanation for some of the inconsistencies. But, uh, yeah, it was good to see Vucevic be back to, to looking like the guy that they traded for. Um, more of that and less of Wednesday, please. It is worth noting that Levine hasn't played any of these games because he's been in the health and safety protocol. So there is that. 
Um, so it's been largely on Vucevic's shoulders to carry a load, which, you know, obviously two wins this week, we'll take that. And he's been able to do it. Um, I, I love Sadoransky. Uh, he's such a good player. And when he's aggressive, this team is on another level. Um, I just don't see it as often as I need to. Yeah, I was going to say, it's it's the hit, that is the limiting factor, is you just don't see it enough. He threw down a dunk in that Hornets game over two players. And they were talking about it on the broadcast of like, you know, Sadoransky, just looking at the dude, you, you might think like, okay, he's average. He doesn't really have that. He's 6'7", six, 6'8", six, and legitimate athleticism. And I think people sleep on it just because he doesn't ever utilize it as much as he really should. He's the best point guard that this team has. I know Kobe White had a much better week, um, getting a little bit more playing time, a little bit more consistency. But Kobe White is, and I, I again, I talked about this on the, the live stream that we had. Uh, please look ahead for any live streams that we do in the future. But Kobe White is a great um, jump shooter, uh, but he, he likes the more um, standstill jumpers, shooting off the move, not really his game, shooting off the dribble, not really his game. But if Vooch can get it in the post and kick it out to him for a spot-up jumper, that's Kobe White's success. And he had a lot of Kobe White success doing that. Um, but he's definitely not a point guard. He's not a point guard. Um, and we've talked about in the past that that might be something that the Bulls look for in the future. Well, that was summer. exactly what I was going to jump in with. Like the, the point guard of that will probably make the team better or will get them to the next level is not on this roster. Yeah. Um, it, it's just not there. So, I mean, that would be, you know, if they don't manage to make it to the playoffs, that would be where I would look in the draft. Even if they manage to make the playoffs, you could probably get a decent point guard at a late part of the draft. Um, so yeah, I think that's the most glaring need for them right now. Well, that's really interesting because the Bulls are now um, sitting, I believe, at the end of Thursday's game against the Hornets. They were sitting in eleventh place, a half game out of the play-in tournament, that seven to ten tournament. Um, and you know, we put a poll on during the live stream about do you think they'll make that play-in tournament or not? And I believe it was a very negative poll. I believe it was one hundred percent said no. <laughs> Um, you know, they're, they're in the thick of it, but obviously if you make that tournament, this is how the play-in tournament works. You make the tournament, if you're a 7 or an 8 seed, you just need to win once. The loser then plays the winner of the 9-10 matchup. The 9-10 seeds have to win twice to make the playoffs. So the Bulls would have to win two games in a row, presumably against some mixed smash of Toronto, Washington, Indianapolis, Charlotte, or whoever. Teams they can beat. Teams they, teams have they absolutely can beat. Absolutely. Um, so, or do you want to just maybe miss the playoffs and get a high top 10 lottery pick? Or get a again? chance to, you know, an odd lottery ball here and you back into something really good. I mean, I really liked Jalen Suggs out of Gonzaga. I'm, <laughs> I'm just saying he's one of the players to look at. But, um, you know, that's the question that the Bulls are looking at. I think they're playing for the playoffs and they're playing to make that play in tournament. And you never know what happens. Um, and you look at the Eastern Conference. I'm not scared of anybody. The Milwaukee Bucks are playing much better right now, but they're hitting their threes. So that usually dries up in the playoffs, at least for Milwaukee in recent years. Brooklyn is all kinds of hurt. They don't have James Harden. They don't have Kevin Durant. It's basically Kyrie Irving, and that's proven that he can't carry that load by himself. 
which the team wasn't designed that way. So I don't, I'm not scared of them. The Sixers are good. Sixers are very good. What else really scares you? No, the power of, of the league is out in the West. Um, yeah, I don't really have – yeah, no, nobody – to answer your question directly, nobody in the East necessarily, other than the 76ers, I think um, are, are huge contenders. Brooklyn would have to get a lot healthier. Um, a couple other – Milwaukee would have to be consistently hitting their outside shots. Um, Atlanta's but, sitting there, but Trey Young just rolled an ankle. <laughs> I mean, nothing. Nothing's really uh, putting fear in you. To me, the the – Quicker way to a championship, believe it or not, I actually think for the Bulls is to not make the playoffs. Um, is is counterintuitive as that sounds, but I want them to at least be able to get uh, the experience of playing in these types of games. Hey, you know, there's whether they win or they lose, there better darn well be some good coaching going on. There better darn well be some growing going on on that team. Otherwise, what are you doing it for? Uh, so, yeah, you know, I mean, it, it, up and down is kind of what it, where it is. I, I, I still want to see what happens when Levine comes back and to see if they can actually start to gel sure. the way that we thought. But uh, yeah, maddening, consistently inconsistent, I think, is is, is our summary, summation of uh, the Bulls. As negative as we have been at times on this as negative as I have been at times on this podcast about the Chicago Bulls, um, and you know, I know Chicago is a very quick reaction, hot button town, but honestly, I think this is exactly the season that this new staff and new uh, management team wanted. They wanted a season to evaluate what talent's on the team, maybe make some changes where they thought they could. They dumped the Otto Porter salary. They got rid of Wendell Carter, which was just clearly not working. Um, so I think now going forward, they drafted Patrick Williams, who is a future guy right and he, and we've talked about it many times he's two or three years away from and talking about Sadoransky's aggressiveness he's another one he needs to be more aggressive he's shown flashes where he's he can play in this league he's very much in that Kawhi Leonard mold of three and d he's got size he's got athleticism he can play at this level so as negative as it might be sometimes around the Chicago Bulls I think this is exactly what the front office envisioned for this year and it'll be exciting to see over the summer where they go whether they make the playoffs or not and to, as to what they want to do improving this team and maybe even not next year but the year after that is when I'd really like to see this Bulls team make a move into dare I say the top four seeds in the east is what I would say would be acceptable I mean you have Levine you have Vucevic you have two of the three pieces that you need so we'll see. Or what you think you can build around. And Correct. I think that's the ultimate evaluation. Do you have those pieces that you can build around? You do have to re-sign Levine because he turned down uh, an extension. So you do have to lock him up and make sure that we still have him. Right. And this is coming from a guy that has, has not thought you can build a team around Levine. Uh, my tune has changed for two reasons. One, he's played a better brand of basketball this year that I'm very impressed with. Um, I'm glad to see him rebounding. I'm glad to see him assist more. Just stop fouling the three-point shooters, would you please? That'd be nice. Shot selection has generally been better for Levine. He's not jacking up a three with a seven-footer in his face anymore as much. <laughs> um, but Vucevic really locked it in because I think he's a staple that you could just put in the post and play around that, um, which I think helps everybody out. Um, 
so no, I you know negative about the Bulls, but also optimistic for the future. Let's say. So we'll see how their playoff hunt goes. Fair enough. So turning turning to the other United Center tenant, that would be uh, the Chicago Blackhawks. It's basically one opponent on the docket all of this week. Nashville, Nashville, Nashville. We talked about this, that this was probably going to be very determinative of whether or not they could hang in that uh, playoff race. And well, up and down again um, and not consistent enough. And probably now I think they're on the short end of the stick and now they probably need some help because uh, they didn't do themselves a whole lot of favors this week. Uh, Monday's game versus Nashville, uh, a 5-2 to two loss. Not exactly what you wanted to see. They started off okay, but then Nashville just kind of got up on them. Uh, I think it was 4-1 to one by the end of the second period. Uh, Debrinkit and Camp uh, with the goals for the Hawks. Patrick Kane picked up an assist, as he is apt to do. Uh, Wednesday's game in Nashville is one of those things that I would call every now and again, um, the, the Blackhawks do what I call they win a game when they're undead. Because uh, Nashville killed them. They were dead. They were down 3 nothing a minute into the third period. And then lo and behold, they get a goal. Or I'm sorry, it was 4-1. to one. Uh, Lo and behold, they get a goal midway through the third period. And then that sparked another goal. And then the next thing you know, they tie it two minutes later. Three goals in two minutes and 58 seconds. It's an amazing comeback. And, and Brandon Hagel then wins the game in overtime. You only wish that you could have somehow managed to get that game-winning goal before overtime because Nashville still took a point off of it. Uh, but it was a great win. You know, it's, it, it, you could see when the when the kids get confident what they can what they can do, what's in there. Um, Doc and Hangle obviously with the two assists. It's really nice to have Brandon Hangle back. I think he's been probably of the kids the most consistent where like I always feel that something good is happening when that dude's on the ice. Uh, but you follow it up with the effort tonight, which that game just wrapped up. They lose 3-1. to one. Thought they deserved a lot better. I was kind of tweeting during the game. They, they were on it. They played with a sense of urgency. UC Saros for Nashville pretty much kind of stood on his head, got some luck, got a favorable couple of post bounces here and there. So kind of bad puck luck, which just kind of will happen in hockey. Uh, but again, you don't pick up two points. And if anything, now you're you're down uh, 54 versus 49. You're five points out of that spot. And you've got now a Dallas team in between you and Nashville. So again, Hawks need a lot more help. Their schedule coming home is not exactly easy. Um, yeah, I think they're kind of at the short end of it. So it's almost fait accompli that they're probably not going to make the playoffs. Still, I look back on the season and I say, we expected nothing. We got a playoff race out of it. We we got to see some of these kids shine a little bit this year, which is really good. Um, also just wanted to um, mention a uh, report came out from Darren Drager on Wednesday concerning the captain, Jonathan Taves, that uh, they said that his health was improving. They did not mention what specifically it is. I don't think we're ever going to know unless Johnny decides to show up in front of a camera and tell us. Um, but they do actually expect that he could be back for next season. He will most likely not see any ice time this season. There's only a handful of games left, so that makes sense. Uh, but the fact that he could be back means his career is not over. Uh, we're not staring down that abyss, which is good for him, good for the Hawks, good for the league. 
Uh, so that's a bit of positive news. If nothing else, uh, the results on the ice weren't so much, but off of it uh, got a little bit better. Yeah, obviously having Jonathan Taves back, um, I, I'm sure he's been communicating with the guys, um, but just having him in person in the locker room at the very least, uh, let alone on the ice, because we know what he can do on the ice. We know what kind of leader he is. Um, and just <laughs> – Honestly, just winning faceoffs. Well, yeah, that, that, that would also help. Um, so, I mean, that would be a huge, uh, dare I say, acquisition over the summer if we can just bring him back. Ah, huh, perennial all-star. Here you go. Exactly. Um, so, you know, I, it kind of hurt my soul a little bit when uh, I was watching during the NHL trade deadline a little while ago, and they were talking about the upcoming Winter Olympics um, and the U.S. and the can, uh, Canadian rosters. And it hurt my soul a little bit to not see Taves' name up on that Canadian roster because he's been a staple of it for the last um, decade or so. Um, so it, it kind of hurt a little bit. But uh, hopefully we'll get him back and and he'll be at or at, at hopefully near his, uh, his normal level. Um, but as you mentioned... Um, Blackhawks schedule does not get any easier. Uh, they don't play the Red Wings. Nope. They don't play the Blue Jackets, who are in an epic free fall. Um, no. Who do they get? Tampa Bay, Florida, Florida, Carolina for three, and Dallas for two, which would be huge. It could um, be. It could be very deciding. It could be big. Um, if nothing else, to knock them back out if the Hawks are out of it. So Yeah, the, the issue so much is, obviously, we just talked about the Nashville thing, and they're sitting in front, and they have owned the Blackhawks this year, uh, which is not good. Uh, but um, yeah, Dallas... I mean, out of a possible 16 points, Nashville gets 15. So if you're wondering why you didn't make the playoffs, that would be it. This is the opponent, and you look at the Nashville roster. And I was talking about this earlier, or I was I was lamenting about this, and I just go, it's all like former like Minnesota Wild players and Dallas Stars players that have just like killed the Hawks, like Mikhail Granlund and Eric Howla. Who, who like they, these guys don't ever have good games against other teams, but when they play the Blackhawks, something happens, and and like they'll score two goals in a, in, a, in a game. And Colton Sissons for uh, Nashville, uh, having now had a chance to watch three consecutive games of that guy, yeah, he's pretty good. So you might want to consider maybe putting a body on that guy next time. Yeah, uh, I mean Nashville's just. I mean, if we don't make the playoffs, like you said, it's it's Nashville. That, that held us out. I mean, you expect Tampa Bay to be great. You expect Carolina, even though in my head they're not great, they are. <laughs> and uh, But I, the other problem is Dallas. Dallas has two games on us, and they're ahead in points. Well, yeah, Dallas uh, has had not good. many COVID issues. Now, the question is, you can have those games in hands. That's great. You still got to win them. True. Um, so that that's nothing is, is wrapped up in terms of that. But, um, yeah, I, I just think – Again, I keep going back to what was I expecting into this season? I was expecting nothing. I was expecting complete last place. I was expecting them to be where the Red Wings are, you know, out of the playoffs. The fact that you can get that experience on the job um, is super significant. The fact that you've gotten really good goaltending from both Subban and Kevin Lankinen when you thought that that was a major, major question mark going into this season is really significant. We know they have problems on defense. That has not been solved. That we didn't think was going to get solved. So um, that will be the priority. That is where I think if they're going to put assets into the draft or make some sort of acquisitions over this next summer, 
that's where it's got to be. They've got guys who can put the puck in the net. They also need to get stronger in the middle on the center with somebody somewhere who can win a darn faceoff. Because if you don't have the puck, it's harder to get the puck and you don't have puck possession. And in this league, if you don't have it, it's that much harder to get it back. And these guys are too good. And um, the only other thing that I would say, whatever this defensive system that Jeremy Colleton has brought, can we please throw it in the bin? Cause it doesn't work. It, it, whatever, for whatever reason, it enables like, guys getting clear in the slot one-on-one against your goalie. I don't care what you're trying to do. That's bad. <laughs> so stop playing that way. So I'm hoping that, you know, if, if Stan Bowman, who's now been recently empowered, can continue to be that way, um, can maybe come down from on high and, and, and shake up his coach a little bit and tell him to, to stop doing that because that's annoying. Yeah, I'm uh... – just to kind of piggyback off your point, I think goalie, you said, was a major, major uh, hole that needed to be filled this year. That's an understatement. Like, losing Corey Crawford last minute or going into the season was just a real blow. Um, so much so that the team captains had to have a sit-down talk with the organization. With, be with like, management what exactly, about it. Yeah, what exactly is our plan here? Because we still want to win. Um, so... Uh, having that revelation has been great. And no, Subban and Lincoln are not exactly where they need to be to have this club winning in playoff games, but um, it's a giant step from where we thought our goaltending was going to be. It's a lot easier if they're not always left off to try, though. (laughs) For sure, for sure. Um, And, you know, we can score goals. I think we've proven that. But like you said, our our defense has been a gaping hole now for several years in a row. And we have not been able to fix it. And they've tried. They have tried. They've tried different pairings. They've tried bringing in guys. They've tried trading for guys. They've tried. They've tried a lot of stuff. And and they've also been hurt. Um, yes. You know, Calvin DeHaan has been in and out of the lineup, and you know they keep trying to piece him back together enough to try to play. And and, and it it took till tonight. You know, that's that's the other thing that kind of frustrates me. Look. If if you knew what this season was going in, and yeah, you got you were pleasantly surprised with the effort. Why not play the kids that got you here? Why are we having a, a halfway healthy Calvin DeHaan trying his best? And I don't blame the player here. You know, this should be the organization kind of stepping in and saying, "No, look, we've got guys. We've got Nicholas Bodine, who you actually watched him tonight. You could see the fresh legs, and it was like a, a bit of a rejuvenation. And, and, and he was doing some really good things tonight." Um, like I said, tonight was really much more a, a lack of puck luck more than anything. And hockey's going to do that. You know, they, they probably didn't deserve to win Wednesday and they did, and they probably deserved to win the night and didn't. You know, I'm just looking at some of our defensemen and, you know, Brent Seabrook's still on the roster. God bless him, but he's retired. Um, that but, is a technicality that will be correct. gone by the end of the year. Um, Connor Murphy, I thought has been a revelation. I thought he's actually played quite well this year. Probably um, they're of, of the entire core, probably the most consistent for sure guy on the on the team. Uh Zadorov is basically there to be a, a brute. Um, um we can physical. ship you can ship him out anytime and don't let, let the door hit him on the way out. That dude uh can be brutal at times. He's got he's got the body that you look at it and you say six, six, that's an NHL defenseman. Yeah, he can skate. He's a bruiser. He just chooses not to. Um, the goal he now granted he'd been out there for a long time, but you can't be as a defenseman 
watching a guy get around your defense partner and go in and score. Right. No, I, th- I think he's more of the – he's there for hits. I don't think he's there. But he doesn't for, hit. That's yeah. the problem. Yeah. Like, I, he finally laid into somebody about maybe two, three weeks ago, and it was a great decleater hit. And the, the the thought that I think came out of it was that's the hit that he's been running away from his entire career. So, I mean, for whatever reason, he's a guy. It looks a lot better than it is. Like, he's come actually a bit of a way from when he first started this season. I, I was like, oh, my God, this, he's brutal. But, so, I mean, there's something there. I just don't know how we how the team taps into it. But I don't have a problem if he's not on the team the second they can find a, another home for him. So just looking at these guys, Calvin DeHaan and Connor Murphy are veteran hockey defensemen, 27 and 29 respectively. Uh, Seabrook retired, 35. Everybody else is under 25 years of age. And Duncan Keith is 37. I'm, I love Keith. I was raise, his number, raise his number to the rafters. He's a hockey hall of famer. Yep. No doubt. He'll be there in Toronto. He'll he'll get his enshrinement. But he's had some blown wheels. He's had some just horrific turnovers where he's just trying to fling the puck to the other side and it gets picked and there's a breakaway and talking about like leaving Lincoln in and Subban on right on you know thin ice, so to speak. Um it's maybe maybe I know this may be blasphemy in some circles, but Maybe it's time to ease Duncan Keith into that Blackhawk way of like, let's sit you down, but not <laughs> sit you down, quote unquote. You know that kind of thing. Well, he might not be able to play the thirty minutes a night that he that he's uh, you know accustomed to. I, I he's got a ton of miles on him. I mean, for the guy who's done it on the Olympic level, he's done it at World Championships. He's played. Uh, you know, deep in Stanley Cup runs. So, I mean, there's just a lot. Of, look, the guy's got a lot of mileage on him. Uh, yeah, you start to see where, like, his brain computes that I should be here, but his body physically can't get there. Like, And, and he wasn't doing that at the beginning of the season, and you can now tell, you know, it's, it's weighing on him. People were hammering Seabrook later in his career for – Defensive errors or not oh, hitting it won't, or whatever. It won't take long before people wake up to what we're seeing. I, I'm just saying that Keith deserves a little bit of criticism here. He's not, just plainly speaking, he's not been very good for like two, two and a half years now. He was better at the beginning of the season, but as it's gone on, yeah, you've seen the. I mean, he's gone on a scoring streak, but he's always been a bit of a scorer. He's put up a couple of goals in the last couple of weeks, but um, I'm, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, Keith. Need, no, I mean he'll be better. He, he will. The hope is that you find he's thirty some young his next heir apparent that he could like teach on the fly. You hope that's you, Boquist. You were hoping it was Boquist. I don't know that we've figured that out yet. But young kid, twenty, yeah, um, seventeen years younger than Keith. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> Let that sink in. So yeah. as I'm as I'm about to push the age that I'm pushing. So I can I can feel a little bit for Duncan Keith right now, to be honest with you. But uh, anyway, that's a discussion for another time. So we will go ahead. We will take our one official break of the show. We will come back and we will get into the north and south sides of baseball. Different stories, but remarkably enough, very similar records. So come on back. All right. Back from our break. And we got some Chicago baseball on the schedule. Yeah, we'd be talking baseball. So uh, 
Cubs. We'll start off with the Cubs. Um, hey, they've actually learned how to score some runs. How about that? They have decided that the bat is used to hit the ball. <laughs> um, they didn't on Sunday, however. So we were talking about some some Cubs struggles at the plate, and Saturday they beat the Braves thirteen to four, and then the next day they get clubbed thirteen to four. So that run differential uh, breaks even. <laughs> um, you know, Hendricks gives up seven earned runs, uh, which is just not pretty. Yeah, if the if the if the curveball isn't curving and the and the slider's not sliding the way that it needs to for him, there's no velocity there, so it can get hammered, and it and it did. No, Braves just opened up, uh, and I don't even think Acuna played that entire game. I think he left the game at some point. Um, and then miracles happened, and the Cubs got the Mets. Uh, at the right time and in the right at the right of time. their rotation. Uh, it's not just the Mets, because the Mets are actually okay. Um, but what they really looked out on is they missed Jacob DeGrom. He was supposed to pitch the last game of that series, but for some reason got bumped. Um, that bump start was today, and he struck out 15 batters. So thankfully missed him <laughs> in the rotation. Um, but the Cubs took advantage, and dare I say, get the brooms out, swept them. Swept the Mets at home. Uh, Arietta got a win. Kimbrell got a save in that first game of the series with a three-one win. Um, Probably the, the the closest of I would say the three games. I mean, other than the one that goes into ten innings, but yeah, uh, it was a pretty tightly contested game. Sogard came up uh, with a nice two for three night with an RBI. Um, Wednesday, the Cubs opened up and and scored sixteen on a hapless Mets team. Um, Matt Duffy. <laughs> With three hits and three RBIs uh, coming a little bit out of nowhere. Uh, I, I will also say there is nothing sweeter than a Javier Baez tattoo shot of a home run. Like him and your mean Mercedes with the socks, I think when they both decide that they're going to like kill a ball, like those balls just fly, fly far. Baez has a beautiful swing if yeah. he's not whiffing on a slider down away. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, that grand slam was, was massive that he hit on that Wednesday. And then they wrap up the series with a 4-3 win in 10 innings with a uh, Jason Hayward game-winning single in the 10th. Um, really solid. And then they kept it going uh, today against the Brewers. They unloaded again. I was going to say, they, they continued to score runs. Uh, to be fair to the Brewers, though, uh, their pitcher only lasted a third of an inning. He went out with an injury. Little uh, They called it right knee discomfort, I think, was the official. Um, so he only lasted a third of the inning. But he was getting rocked before that i think uh three of the four batters had like 100 mile per hour ball speeds coming off the bat I mean, yeah, all he, i know is i looked up on twitter and it was bottom of the second they were up six nothing I'm yeah like, hey, I think they're he was good. getting squared up pretty solid before he went out and then uh poor poor Lindblom comes in it was like bases loaded or two runners on like one out and he just got lit up for eight earned runs um so a tough day at the office for the Brewers, uh, especially with that talented pitching. They're coming off of a sweep of the Padres themselves. So they're a red-hot baseball team. Um, but, hey, if the Cubs can make a little run here, um, you never know. You never know going forward. They can gain momentum, gain some confidence with the bats particularly. You never know. Well, the thing of it is, is it, how consistent will this be if it is the start? Now, look, they could not have been worse to start this season in terms of offense. We talked about that before. It was historically bad. Yes. You're talking 100 some years plus some years of baseball. So the fact that at least it, it's possible to see the bats wake up is 
thank God, um, you know, because otherwise it was looking down the, 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 the prospect of a really bad abyss here. Um, I still don't know, you know, now it goes back to the same questions we always have. Does, can the pitching hold up um, enough to allow, if this is a rejuvenated offense, to carry them for a little bit? We shall see. Um, good start to the weekend this weekend. You just hope that they didn't, you know, burn themselves out, you know, which is sometimes can happen in baseball. You know, you score 15 one day and then you score two the next. So, yeah, but I mean, the fact that they are over 500, the fact that they haven't lost touch with anybody really too far in that central division is, I think, really, really good for them. So, hey, good going. You you got the the Mets on on the the good part of their rotation for you as a Cub fan. So, hey, good going. Cubs are in second place in their division. A game back of who? The Brewers, uh, who they got two more against. So you could wake up Monday morning and have the Cubs in first place in we the could. division. You you easily could. It's mind-boggling. But they're, you know, they're they're struggling to score runs. They're plus five run differential right now. So it's well, what did I see? They scored. They had 36 runs in their first nine games, and they scored 36 runs in the last week or something. Yeah, something so, crazy like yeah, that. Yeah, it was ridiculous. So Hey, regression to the mean sometimes can happen really quick. So, but this was the the case with the Cubs uh, in twenty nineteen too. It's like if they didn't score fifteen runs in a game, they didn't score at all. Right. And so, you'd it, like it, to even that out, right? You, you you want consistency. You don't want feast or famine. Uh, it was nice to see a little, at least a little bit of feasting, though. So that, like I said, I'll take that. Chris Bryant. It's worth noting uh, the only batter to have a batting average of decent. <laughs> decent stat it's 313 currently he's got five homers 12 rbis um i really make note of chris bryant because he's on the trade watch um if the cubs do tend to slide at some point him and kimbrell seem to be two of the ones that you underline as potential uh trade bait um so it's it's worth keeping an eye on his stats but it's great to see him being successful um I, I don't know why pitchers don't continue to throw fastballs up and keep trying this slider stuff on him, but, uh, you know, do what you want to do, I guess. So turning to the south side, um, a lot of Boston in here, but the Sox actually, I think, showed very well. Uh, the doubleheader, uh, they got they got snowed out of, I think it was last Friday's game, so ended up having to make it up as a, uh, two-part doubleheader, which they ended up sweeping, actually, which is very hard to do, especially on the road. Uh, Tim Anderson in the first game, three for four with a home run. Uh, Liam Hendricks with a save. Uh, Sunday versus uh, the second game, Michael Kopech actually got the spot start, uh, went three innings, looked pretty good, probably wasn't stretched out, so they took him out relatively early. Matt Foster ended up picking up um, the, the pitching win. Your mean Mercedes continuing to do your mean Mercedes things with a home run. Nick Madrigal, hey, look at that. This guy can finally convince himself he can hit. And and, and Jose Abreu and, and Mendek each with an RBI. However, Monday versus the Red Sox, and this is the only game that ever happens in the morning. Uh, it is Patriots Day in Boston, um, and it did not go well. So Lucas Giolito, as good as he has been, um, apparently not good for pitching in the morning. Forgot, forgot to wake up. Yeah, maybe. Um, I think the first six batters all scored, uh, which I think is like the first time that that's happened in baseball. So, yeah, you know, 
hundred some years of baseball, new things can still happen. So seven earned runs in the first inning, that's not very good. Uh, Tim Anderson did go three for four. Adam Eaton did go two for four with three RBIs, uh, but they ended up taking the loss, eleven to four. Uh, Tuesday versus Cleveland in a game also very in a series very much affected by weather. Carlos Rodon got the win. Uh, Hendricks a save. Jose Abreu two hits. Grandal and Anderson each with a home run. Uh, so that was actually very good. Uh, they played the Rangers tonight uh, in a very, very, very offensive game. Your mean Mercedes again, continuing to do your mean Mercedes things. Four for four. Uh, the batting average maybe had come down off of 400. It's most likely back over it now. Uh, so he's continuing his incredible start to the season. Uh, but a very, very hit-filled game. They ended up taking the win 9-6. to six, So that was good. Um, so, yeah, we have uh, as different of a path. They have very similar records. They're both a game over 500. They're both kind of sitting in, like, that middle part of their divisions. Um it feels like the Sox are slowly coming into where we would have expected them to be. It's been a little bit more consistent, but they'll still look you know, like that, that game in Boston, they have two great games on Sunday and they still have the clunker every now and again. It's just kind of how it goes. So again, if they can continue to avoid that, the, the, avoid the clunker Cubs, avoid the clunker, the Sox avoid the clunker. Good things can happen. Yeah. White Sox sitting in also in second place. They're a game and a half behind uh, ice. A surprise Kansas City Royals team who's that sitting in first. Last. No, I I agree it will not last. Uh, the Twins are seven and eleven right now. Um, your question about Mercedes, he's hitting a paltry four twenty nine at the moment. Um, but no, my my concern was that Giolito game because I did not see that coming. Um, seven earned runs in the first inning. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna chuck that up to that weird start time fluke. Just yeah, I mean, that's one of the reasons, like, you, you you never want to draw that game. If it happens again, then I'll get more concerned. But any good pitcher can have a clunker. Um, and, you know, if he got it out of his system, then so much the better. That looked like Giolito from a couple of years ago. Remember when he was, like, the worst pitcher in the American League? <laughs> that was a couple of years ago, Giolito. But, no, I mean, coming off of his last start uh, against Shane Bieber and the Indians, where it was just a pitching oh, duel that was for a eight innings. pitching masterpiece yeah. by both those guys um and then rodan very disappointing outing getting the win but losing the record of the back-to-back no hitter chance uh very disappointing well um, you know <laughs> but no he, he's still the, probably the the surprise of, of the Sox rotation the fact that he has been as good and consistent as he's been i agree um that will solidify the bottom of that rotation uh and good for him just a guy who's been through a ton so, I mean, just the human story of Carlos Rodon, and it's good to see him getting uh, some good national attention out of it. I did like see uh, seeing Kopech get a start, even though it's a uh, a bullpen start of, you know, a quick two, three innings. Um, but well, I mean, it, it, it makes sense. It feels like that's where, you know, eventually he will hopefully come back into it. Uh, he could do the, the, the Chris Sale uh, avenue of being a bullpen guy in the first part of his career and then transitioning into a starter. I think I would. Is Chris Sale still in the league? I, I don't know. I'd have to look so. that up. I don't know. I haven't seen him pitch in a long time. I feel well, like. I wonder if that elbow finally blew. <laughs> yeah. My goodness. But no, um, it's fun to see Kopech pitch because he's got electric stuff. Yes. Um, and, he, and he wants to play baseball again. So that's good. He's now back to being motivated. Um, and it looks like the arm. You know, they're obviously going to keep it with, with kid gloves, as they should. 
there is no reason to sacrifice or risk injury to, to him, you know, for the sake of a, a single game out of 162. So, um, yeah, I'm totally – I'm happy with what they've gotten out of him. I love the fact that he comes in. When he comes in out of the bullpen, it's been basically shut down. Um, but he can only go an inning or maybe two, and that's fine. Yeah. Uh, Keiko getting another win is another good sign. Uh, my concerns with the White Sox pitching staff really lie with um, how is Kopech going to be coming off of the injury, obviously. Rodon staying healthy. Uh, check marks in both of those. And then Keuchel. Um, and I know Keuchel has been an ace before with, with the Astros, and, and he comes in here with a lot of um, experience. But he does tend to have a, uh, a relatively high ERA at times. Well, it, it, you look at him and you say, okay, the, he's not a velocity guy. Right. Um, if the breaking stuff isn't pinpoint, he can get lit up. And we've seen that a couple times where the breaking stuff hasn't been pinpoint. Yeah. So, I mean, that's always a concern of mine is like, I'm almost waiting for that shoe to drop of him getting like lit up at some point. Um, and then Lance Lynn, who just got put on the IL after his last start, I believe, um, you know, Lance Lynn was a question mark for me coming in. Yeah. That's annoying, but you know, next person up. I mean, this is going to happen. It's a 162 game season. Now injuries are going to happen. We're going to have stints on the IL. Uh, so hopefully he can come back and hopefully he, whatever it is, is ailing him. Isn't, you know, a long-term thing. So. So yeah, I guess for me, for the White Sox, it's just, will the pitching hold out? Will the pitching do enough to let the bats do what they do? Well, I'll I'll tell you the one part of, and I would not have thought this going into the season, but other than Liam Hendricks, I have like questions about the bullpen because they've been very, very inconsistent. Um, You know, some, you look at guys like uh, Aaron Bummer and some days he can come out of the bullpen and be lights out and other days he can get lit up. And Matt Foster has had some struggles and um, Cody Hoyer has had some struggles and that's a dude with a 99 mile an hour fastball. So, you know, it's, they can catch up to that in the, in the majors. So when <laughs> for good reason. So, you know, if that can come around, I would feel a lot more confident. That is the only part, like even tonight's game, you know, they're, they're up five, nothing and cease goes out in the fourth inning and the bullpen comes in. And the next thing you know, it's, it's six to five. And I'm like, whoa, you know, that happened quick. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, got to get the third out. Got to make – and then the other thing that just keeps plaguing them, bad defense. You know, two errors tonight. It's too many times I see that. You know, you saw a very easily playable bouncing ball off the home plate that uh, one of the, the Sox pitchers airmails the first baseman, and it wasn't even close. And Abreu did <laughs> – one heck of a leap to prevent the ball from going into into the outfield. But uh, so, yeah, I mean, if they can shore those things up, those things are fixable. I'll feel much better about it. Um, but, you know, I, the offense is there and your mean Mercedes has just been a, a thing and, and so fun to watch. Yeah. We, we talked a little bit about it on our, our last, uh, last episode, but you look at the Cubs and you look at the Sox and it's two very different ways of getting to the same, same record, at least stylistically a little bit lately, the Cubs bats have woken up and they look a little bit like the white Sox, but uh, just little different vibes, but Hey, they're still there. They're still sitting in um, prime position to compete early in the season. Granted it's early in the season, but um, just FYI, Chris Sale still in the league. 
coming back hey, to Tommy John. They expect him back later in 2021. Now there you go. Later this year. Finally had the Tommy John surgery that he was destined to have mm-hmm. with the inverted W uh, uh, motion in his in his arm. So anyway, well, so that's kind of the the landscape of Chicago sports for the week. Um, you can find my friend Dan on Twitter at you can find us on Twitter, excuse me, uh, at 40 Experience One. Uh, you can definitely tell who's on Twitter by the tone of it. Dan is much more analytical. Uh, me, I'm much more hot takey and a little more snarky, and sometimes I can get a little sarcastic. Um, but you can find Dan on Twitter and Instagram at DanielAllen44. You can find me on Twitter at AFP3626. Check out some of our other episodes if you're interested in those types of things. We had a really good, I think, Masters deep dive. Uh, we talked about the NBA trade deadline a couple weeks ago. So check it all out. Let us know on Twitter. Feel free to DM us. Uh, we would take any feedback that anyone would love to give. We would love to, to try to work it in, into the show and, and try to make this better for everybody. So um, for Dan, I am Drew. Um, as always, it's super fun bringing everybody this stuff, and uh, we will catch you all on the next one.